You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone, B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad. Sanderson. Today we're talking about how B2B executives can create a competitive edge for companies that grow sales, margins, shorten sales cycles, and increase lead flow. To help us, we have with us Jose Palomino, founder and CEO of Value Prop Interactive and host of the Revenue Throughput Podcast. Jose, thank you so much for your time and welcome to the show. No, my pleasure, Chad. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we like to start with a question at the beginning to help to understand you a little bit better. And I'm all curious to know, those that only know you in a work environment, what is something that you're passionate about that might surprise them? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question because I, I tend to live, I try to live life somewhat transparently. So I think if people work with me long enough, they pick up on these. But, but you know, certainly I'm passionate about my relationship with my family. I'm passionate about our spiritual health as a family because it's not just, it's not all work. You know, it's not all play either. There's, you know, this we want to have lives of meaning. And I'm also passionate about British cop shows. <laughs> so I love <laughs> that. Oh, that took a left turn. <laughs> For some reason, I just, I actually subscribe to, you know, we've, we've cut the we're cable cutters, right? So I subscribe to like a Brit box. So I get Luther, uh, line of duty, MI5. Nice. It's just, it's cool. So good, good binge watching. Yeah, very, very cool. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. So let's start with kind of an understanding of what it means to have a competitive edge. I know you've got four dimensions of that competitive competitive edge, and would love uh, for you to share with the audience. Uh, sure. So first of all, you know, just to to I like to bring it down to like the most basic meaning, right? It's it's how you win, right? And and it, and the metaphor I use, and I think it's just it it it, it always connects with people once they get it is uh, the Olympics, right? So like the most uh, appropriately named person ever is Usain Bolt, right? What a name for a guy who's like right. the fastest <laughs> man alive. And so, but what's fascinating is he is the fastest 100 meter runner ever. And yet he wins on average his, you know, even when he's like, you know, crushing the field, he wins by fractions of a second. And what's fascinating about that is at the end of his victory, when he crosses the line, they don't give him a fractional gold medal. They give him the whole gold medal. He earns the whole thing. No, I mean, think about that for a moment. So, you know, sometimes we, we read about things in business and we think we have to invent, like we have to like become the next big thing. We have to be the next Apple to be successful. But, you know, if you're like running, a, if you're a small OEM and you're running a $10, $15 million operation, success for you is you find another $3 million of growth. That's 20% growth. That's significant. That will go right to your bottom line if you're an owner operator. So to me, a competitive edge is those little things you do to win consistently. You don't necessarily have to lap the field. Like Usain Bolt doesn't lap the field, but he, he, he crosses the finish line before the other guys. And it's the same thing in business that when you win the deal, whoever came in second, if there were five competitors, they're like first losers. I mean, I mean, that sounds harsh, but it's, the reality is you get nothing for coming in second place in most competitive situations where right. you're vying for the business. You win or you go home. And then the worst thing is, you know, you have the debrief call with the customer who did not choose you. And then, you know, the boss asked you, in the case of you're like part of a sales team, you know, how did it go? And, and so on. And say, oh, man, they told us we came in really close. 
They almost <laughs> chose us. But you know what I'm saying? Okay, you, you <laughs> not much you can do with that. So so I, I look at you know all the different things you have to do to win consistently. And they generally will fall into, and we, you know, I guess we'll talk about this a little bit more, but you know, one is just the clarity and the power of your value proposition. Like, are you bringing something in a way that's meaningfully important and different to your customers? Are you delivering against it, right? Because you can make a lot of promises. We've all seen companies say, we've been in business long enough to know that this, you know, what's on the brochure isn't necessarily what you end up receiving. And then do you have, especially in B2B, do you have marketing that actually generates leads for you, like actual appointments, opportunities, or does it create a lot of vanity stats? You know, like, oh, you know, our website just, you know, we have twice the viewership we used to have. And I said, yeah, but did the phone (laughs) ring? Did anybody fill out a form? And last but not least, and I know this is like, you know, your world in, in a very significant way, are you effective with the opportunities you get? That's the ultimate place your edge has to show up is like, you have to be very good at converting the opportunities because opportunities are tough to come by. I mean, people aren't, people, at least I haven't run into a business yet where customers just say, hey, you know what? I'm just going to give you more money. It doesn't usually happen <laughs> right. that way. So, you know, it's a big answer to a very straightforward beginning question there, Chad, but that was, that was uh, that's how I'd like to answer it. It's, it's how you win and really thinking through the dimensions of how to edge out your competitors, even by a little bit, because if you cross the finish line before they do, you get the deal, they don't, and that's a win. I love it. And so if we were to look at companies and their performance, are there ways to easily identify if they do have a competitive edge and it may be? Yeah, so a couple of things, right? One is, you know, I would always ask an owner or, or leadership team, you know, are you winning more than your fair share? And they say, what does that mean? You know, our fair share, we'd want to win, all, win them all. But the simple example is if you're always competing, let's say in a four bid or three bid situation, are you just winning your proportionate share mathematically? So if it's a four bid, are you winning 25% of the deals? If you are, that means you're just good enough, but not not really edging out anybody, right? I mean, one in four, that's like, you know, that's like, a, what, say a million monkeys typing would eventually write Shakespeare, <laughs> yeah. you know, or an infinite number of monkeys. You know, so you, you want to say, am I doing better than that? Am I winning tough deals? If you, if, you, if you can't remember a time when you won a tough competitive deal, then you don't have a competitive edge. The other thing is, do you, are you getting the kind of pricing, let me say differently, are you able to hold your line on pricing or do you find that you always have to make price concessions? Because frankly, the market's still seeing you as, as kind right. of a commodity. And then lastly, you know, are you getting even inbound inquiries because people think you're meaningfully different? Like that you're on the hot list of people they have to talk to because of the way you're offering what you're offering. And so, okay, so when we think about, you know, those companies that may have lost the competitive, those that fall into that commodity trap where they are constantly counting or or not, you know, being able to communicate their value prop effectively, what are they what should they do to reverse it? I mean, is it reversal? I mean, I gotta believe it's reversible, but I can't believe it is easy. How do they how do they go about net focus, a shift in focus in what you're doing? Is it revamping product or service offerings? How do they fix it? Yeah, I mean there's there's a lot of things. So, you know, first thing I like to say is, you know, identify if you ha- if you have a competitive edge, but also some things that could also be clear tells that you've lost it. And then this it, within that is the seed of kind of how you solve it. So for one, if your sales cycles are lengthening, right? It used to take you 60 days. Now it takes you 
it seems like 120 days to get a response. So people will go radio silent on you more often than usual. Now, I understand in the times we're talking right now, there's a lot of craziness in the market, supply chains and all that stuff. But let's talk pre-COVID and then think about a future, hopefully in the not too distant future, where the world kind of shifts to a true post-COVID reality. But a sales cycle is a sales cycle. You should know what it should take you to, to you know, on, on average, from hello right. to a decision. If that's lengthening on you, if it feels like it's just stretching, that's one thing that would tell you, okay, you have a real problem. And of course, if you're not with a brand new customer where you have to bring your price down to win the business, but even worse, your largest customer that you've been doing a lot of business with over the last several years, you realize it seems like every year <laughs> they want another 5% concession. And I've seen this a lot with contract manufacturers who have to sell like to large OEMs and so on. And it's always that other 5%. Eventually, you run out of 5% units to give away. I mean, at some point, it becomes real money, right? And of course, you know, you're just shrinking your top line, or you can't move your top line. You just, you can't move enough sales. And, and here's where it comes out. It's like an emotional sense. You feel stuck. If you're the leader, if you're the CEO, or you're the head of sales, head of marketing, and you're saying like, it seems like nothing we do is making any, any movement here. So this is where, to the second part of your question, what do you do about it? Well, and I, and I do believe in almost every instance, you can do something to sharpen your competitive edge, even and especially in commodity categories. And I know it's counterintuitive, but here's the deal. Everybody you're competing with is also in a commodity category. They have the same problem. So like if you're even slightly decommoditized, right, in, in some dimension, I'll give some examples of that. But when you do that, you actually will stand out. And it's it's kind of like, you know, I, I visited my wife's family years ago and uh, from Central America. And I'm not tall, right? By American standards, I'm like 5'8", right? <laughs> but they're smaller still there, okay? So like I was walking down the top. People say, how tall you are? And I'm thinking, wow, what perspective? It's all about like the context, right? So it's the same thing. You just got to be a little bit taller. And, and so you have to sharpen your value proposition, right? So what does that mean? You know, that, that word gets used. That's not a tagline. It's like saying, hey, do I really know who my best customer is? And here's the best part. Do I really know the problem I solve for them? Well, I haven't really been asking that question. Maybe for years I haven't really dealt with that. But what, what And what's the cost of the problem if I don't solve it? And then what unique value do I bring to that? So I'll give you a real-world example of this. Uh, worked with a, a client years ago. They they delivered home heating oil, right? That's a very, I mean, talk about a commodity. It's literally a global commodity. And for people who don't live in the Northeast, they don't. They say heating oil. People still heating their homes with oil. Yes, they are <laughs> quite a bit. But it's a declining market. So what do you do? How do you differentiate that? You, you, the oil's the oil. Well, as I dug into it with this client, I realized that they had done something to reduce their overtime expenses which is they had sharpened the software, the algorithm that the entire industry uses to estimate when a homeowner is going to need an oil delivery. Pretty simple mathematics based on weather and past utilization. Well, the industry does about 95% accurate delivery. In other words, 95% of the time, they'll know when you need more oil. The other 5%, you're calling, hey, my house is getting cold, hurry up. So this company wanted to eliminate the overtime that that, that, that brought about on Saturdays and Sundays and evenings and so on. And they got themselves a better algorithm. And I asked them, I said, well, how accurate is it? And they said, well, last year we did 60,000 wow. deliveries and we only missed nine. <laughs> I said, 9%? He said, oh, nine. 
So that, if you do the math, is 99.999. It's not quite six sigma, but it's like four sigma or whatever. You know, it's a four nine. So I said, have you told anybody? He said, well, well, what do you mean? I said, well, let me ask you this. I said, if you let somebody run out of oil, would you be willing to fill their tank for free? And he said, well, it's sure. You know, and so here's what happened. We, we said, others make promises, we make guarantees, and we did a no runout guarantee that if you signed up for automatic delivery with us, we would guarantee that if we ever let you run out, we'd fill the tank, which is like 300 right. gallons at like, you know, whatever oil is, you know, four or five, six dollars a gallon. So the result of it for a business was this. They ended up attracting the higher end of the market, the more demanding side of the market that didn't want to ever tolerate not running, not having oil, right? And as a result, they enjoy roughly, depending on the year, 30 to 50% greater margin per gallon than any of their competitors. Now, they did oh, nothing else. Yeah, you got to pay attention to it, yeah. right? You got to figure out, you got to pay attention to where that competitive advantage comes from. And it, so, it was an operational right, so, advantage. It was something they did to, yeah. to reduce overtime. They were already doing it. That's the thing. They were already doing it. And many companies are in that exact position. They're doing something smart. They just haven't seen the implications it has for the customers they're trying to serve. And so, okay, so that's a situation where I'm in a commodity market and, and I've got to figure out, you know, I got to figure out where my competitive advantage is. Are there ways or things companies should do if they want to proactively design and deploy a competitive edge? Or is it something that really comes out of, you know, hey, I, I unleash my GTM, I know what I'm going to do, and then I'll figure it out? Or can I be? Be proactive about it if I already have an existing business. Oh, yeah. I, I think the single most proactive thing to do is talk to customers. And I know that sounds so basic that people are saying, well, wait a second, we talk to customers every day. You know, they call us, we do customer <laughs> service, we have salespeople. I said, no, 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 that's, that's, that's engaging with customers in a transactional context. I'm talking about really talking to customers and then asking them this simple question. What in, let's say your basic broad category, right? So if you sell jet engines, you're not going to be talking about cleaning services, right? So like right. whatever it is, but you just say, hey, what really, you know, what really, what ticks you off? And, and I don't mean about the product. Let's assume all jet engines help planes fly. But what about dealing with the companies and so on? Do you find frustrating? What irritates you? And, and again, you say, well, not every customer's going to want to talk to us about that. And I said, well, hopefully if you've been in business for any length of time, you can come up with five or six or seven customers that will have that conversation with you. Don't turn it as an op. Don't don't try to pivot that conversation into a sales call. Make it very clear. Look, I'm, I really want to know. I want and and then do it regularly. Now you could do more regular, like voice of customer work and so on. This you know firms that do that and do a good job of that. But I'm saying even those five or six calls and. and and I'll tell you, Chad, I've, I've worked with lots of owners over the years, and I'll and they usually were the ones that like started the company and they had a lot of zeal. They talked to, you know, they were hustling nonstop and they're still working very hard. But I asked them this question, when's the last time you had a candid, like, let your hair down conversation with your customers about how, how they're doing, what's happening in their world, what their business looks like, what frustrates them about your category? When's the last time you had that conversation? And it turns out, and it, and it won't surprise you when I tell you this, nine out of 10 times they'll say, well, well, and then they look down at their shoes, you know, kind <laughs> of the moment. <laughs> well, you know, and it's like 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So the first step to proactively designing anything is really make sure you have a handle on your customers and what matters to them today, not when you started the company 20 years ago, 30 years ago. 
because then you're just living on fumes and you've run into, you know, you started something, if it was good, if it was exciting, you brought on competition, other people came in, hence the commoditizing effect, right? More players are involved. They're all trying to go after your lunch. Yep. And so maybe you have some good long-term relationships that carry your business, but you're not growing because you're not really rethinking. You haven't given any fresh thought, the kind of fresh thought that got the business launched in the first place. But you haven't done that in 10 years. And your salespeople, even a VP of marketing, VP of sales, they're they're trying to live in the here and now. They're not asking this question. It really is an important thing, Chad, to just take a step back, take a look at it, talk to customers. That's not the whole thing you have to do. So it doesn't fully answer your question. But I'd say everything that follows, follows that. Love it. All right. So let's pivot here a little bit and talk about Value Prop Interactive. Help the audience understand your journey to founding the company. Uh, sure. Well, you know, after a 20 plus year career arc, mostly in technology, you know, IT, software, computers, and starting out on the technical side, moving into sales and marketing roles, my family and I, we moved to the uh, burbs outside of Philadelphia. So I always tell people I'm a New Yorker living outside of Philadelphia because you're always <laughs> a New Yorker. You know, that's, that never goes away. Always. It, it never, never goes, goes away. away. So that's, you know, I was born and raised in Washington Heights. I mean, that's, that's uh, you know, so New York is it, still, you know, a, a dominant part of my thinking and how I look at things. But when we came down to this area, this was about 15 years ago, I said, you know, I've been looking at the world and the world I've been involved with, some very big companies and a lot of entrepreneurial ventures too. And I see a disconnect between the process of coming up with strategy with marketing and sales. Those three things are two, they're, they're treated like they're separate things instead of, you know, if you think about like a concert, the, there's different instruments that make different sounds, but they have to play together to make music. And that's what I saw was missing. So I took a year off, I interviewed about a hundred business leaders, some very big companies, some very medium and some small just to see if what I was thinking was necessary made sense. And that became actually the genesis for my book, Value Prop, the, for the firm, for the methodologies we use. And then ever since then, just working it. And, and you know, I have a real heart for the owner-led business. It's different than corporate. And I love, you know, I have, I have clients over the years that are corporate-oriented, but the owner is the one that actually lose literally, you know, that, 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 that trite, question, what makes you lose sleep at night? Well, they lose sleep at night over things like payroll, over like the credit line. You know, it's real. (laughs) So it gets really real. It's not like, well, if I don't do well here, I'll just land another gig at another large company. (laughs) It's not, it's disaster, right? It's disaster. So, so I love helping people who, who, what's at stake is like their lives. And that's something that's really been enjoyable for me to help them, you know, through that process. Awesome. So let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests two standard questions towards the end of each interview. The first, simply, as a founder and and CEO, that makes you a prospect for a lot of people. And so I'm curious to know, when somebody doesn't have a trusted referral into you, there's no connection any other way, what works for you when somebody's trying to capture your attention and earn the time on your calendar? Yeah, uh, I want to hear something that sounds, first of all, that's clear. Like, tell me what it is you do and use plain language to do it, right? So when somebody says, you know, we'll, we'll create the synergistic opportunities for your opportunistic future or something like that, I'm saying, <laughs> you know, they kind of lost me at that, you know? It's like, come on, like, what are we doing here, right? Uh, tell me, if you're a lead gen service, tell me your lead gen service. If we redo websites for SEO optimization, then tell me that's what you do. 
so I, and then I want you to show me, explain to me practically how you go about working with somebody like me. I'd like to know that you have a complete solution, right? So mm -hmm. there's, you know, they tend to fall for small businesses. They tend to fall into, we'll show you how, or we'll do it for you, or we'll do it with you. You know, which of those, and that's good language to use. If you're, if you're, if you're aiming for the small to mid market, that will resonate a lot. And the last thing is don't make the budget a mystery. Right. I don't I don't mind the swag budget and saying, look, our service will run between, you know, 10 and 20,000, between 2000 a month and 4000. That's OK. I understand there's details. We have to talk about it. But I don't want to go through too many hoops because I need to know. And they say, well, you know, if 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 we help you get one deal and that's worth fifty thousand dollars to you, then why do you care how much it costs? And people try to sell that way. And I understand you do sell to the value. I do. I've made my whole career doing that. But at some point, people still have a gut check. What can I really do? And it's a real thing. And you're not going to go up against that with an ROI argument and say, listen, just mortgage your house and pay for the service. That's not realistic. <laughs> All right. So last question, we call it our acceleration insight. If there was one thing, one piece of advice you could give sales or marketing professionals that you believe if they listen to would help them hit or their goals will be and why well it's going to be a, a, a little doubling down on a comment i made earlier in, in this interview chat but this is how i like them to, to think about it and, and it's this you don't really know your customer until you know and this is the thing i wanted to visualize how they your customer would talk about their business to a lifelong friend at the bar in other words if you're selling to john smith Visualize what would John Smith tell his good friend Tony when they're commiserating at the end of a long, hard week, at the end of a long, hard day, and they're talking about their problems. When they're really being real, what, would, what is most on John Smith's mind? If you can zero in on that and you can provide solutions for that, and you know, some, uh, I think Jay Abraham calls it the bleeding neck problem, right? <laughs> Somebody has a bleeding neck problem, you say, listen, I can, I can sell you a little band aid. Not that helpful, all right? <laughs> or I can do something very, a significant intervention in stitches, right? So what is their bleeding neck problem? And, and I see too much in marketing where people put nice looking, you know, certainly the aesthetic, the graphics, and I believe in that. I think things should look good and they should look sharp. And they, they put words that are very lofty. And in B2B especially, you cannot sell B2B the way you sell B2C. B2C, you can do just do it. You know, the real thing, things that are just evocative of a thought and a feeling. In B2B, it has to be more grounded to, okay, what are you really doing for me? And so I would say to that marketer, to that sales professional who's listening, just say, really visualize and think, not how that person would talk to you, because they're going to be guarded, you're a vendor, you're trying to sell them something. How would they really talk about their problem to somebody they really trusted, who had no, no hidden agenda of getting money from them. They just were telling the truth. What is the true truth of what their issue is? If you can't zero in on that, then everything else you do, you're just throwing darts blindfolded at the dartboard. Yeah, I love it. All right, Jose, if listeners are interested in talking to you more about these topics, learning more about Valkop Interactive or getting the book, where would you like us to send them? Sure, just two places. One, they can always visit our, our company site, which is valueprop.com, V-A-L-U-E-P-R-O-P.com. And if they want to connect with me on LinkedIn, made it real easy, all I have to do is go to josepalomino.com and it'll take you right to my LinkedIn page. Love it. Excellent. I can't thank you enough for being on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure.
Mine too. Thank you, Chad, for having me. All right, everybody, that does it for this episode. You know the drill, b2brevexec.com. Share it with your friends, family, coworkers. Until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.